Let's begin reading now in chapter 5, verse 1. We'll probably read down through verse 12. Now we, there's no way we'll be able to cover all this today, but here's where we'll begin. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is commonly called our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. He deals with these eight different things, saying you were blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourned. You know what the last word is in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi chapter 4? The last word. Curse. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their father, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Under the law, it was a curse. Cursed is every man that does not continue in all things that are written in the law. And I think in this sermon... Our Lord is going to expound to these people, and hopefully unto us, we have the letter of the law, the strictness of the law, but then there is the spirit of the law. Most people don't understand. The law came on Moses, it says in John chapter 1, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. First of all, who is this is speaking? Well, we know it's our Lord, the prince of preachers. This is the voice of him that spake like no one ever spake. They've never heard anybody speak like this man before. Where was the place that he preached? It's ironic that it's on a mount. It's the Mount of Galilee. It's not Mount Sinai, thank goodness. On Mount Sinai, he said, don't even let a beast touch that mountain. There was, there was blackness and darkness and thundering and lightning. This is, this is one side of God. It is. God is just, and his, his law is good. We're going to see our Lord says, in verse, even in seven, verse 17 of this chapter, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it, and he did. But that mountain thundering said, stay away. You can't come here. You can't come into his presence. 
It's not the Mount Sinai. It's not Mount Olivet. It's not Mount Calvary. It's, it's just a common Galilean hillside. The people that he's speaking to. Now, you read from different ones. Everyone has different opinions. I just believe they were all sinners just like us. You could say, well, that's not speaking to me. No, it's speaking to all of us. All of us. There, there's so much here. It's just, really, it's so plain and so simple. You and But we still don't see. We still, as you prayed, we're still, our understandings are still in darkness. When he opened his mouth, he taught. He didn't mumble. He didn't mutter. He spoke clearly. He's speaking about the citizens of his kingdom. He speaks, like I said, a lot. It makes reference to the kingdom of God, and that's what he's going to be speaking about. There in verse 21 and 22, our Lord is enabled to, he is enabled, he has enabled us to hear. Oh, that the Lord would enable us to hear what he has. Now listen. To say. In verse 21 of chapter 5, you've heard that it was said of them of old time. Now he makes he makes that statement several times before he begins a point, several times in chapter 5. You've heard, you've heard that it was said of them of old time. Thou shalt not kill, but whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. You've heard what was said. But I say unto you, I say unto you, that whosoever was angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of judgment. And at the end of the sermon, chapter 7, here's what he said. And it come to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. The people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. We know what the world says. You've heard what's been said all these years. Well, well this is what the law means. This is, that's, that's what they said. But wait till you hear what he says. <laughs> that's what matters. It's when he says. He said, this is what church, but he said, I say, I say unto you. He is not describing in these verses how men are regenerated, poor in spirit, mourn. He's describing those who are blessed, who are blessed. They are a people in this world who are blessed. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. You know, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And a man that's been made to mourn over his sin, he's a, that's a blessed man. And we know the world has a different conception of what being blessed is. It's like... Before I could get to cut the radio off this morning, after the guy that come on after it's what he was talking about. I'm just so blessed. But then he's talking about people that were sick, and he says, "Well, if you'll just pray to the Lord, maybe maybe he'll 
heal you and maybe he'll bless you. Heard something that spoke to me this week. If you want to say it blessed my heart. You know, you hear people always saying, well, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, you can answer there's no such thing as good people. There's only one good, that's God and his darling son. And secondly, nothing bad ever happens to the Lord's people. All things that work together, didn't say for bad, for good. And you know who they are? They are, you think about it, blessed. Blessed. The law said cursed. The law said do this and live, and we couldn't because of the weakness of the flesh. But here comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and he begins to say, to say. The first thing he said is, blessed are the poor in spirit. The world we know, they look and individuals, and they said, if you're financially stable, if you're healthy, if your family is healthy, well, then you are blessed. Most of the time, it seems that, as David saw in Psalm 73, that a a cup is wrung out to us of heartache and pain and suffering. That's believers. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. And people say, oh, you're cursed. No, we're blessed. We're blessed that he would not leave us alone. And we are blessed that he brings about these things. He brings them to pass to cause us to feel our poverty of spirit. We're not, we're not rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We're poor. They've said, I am poor and needy. You never get beyond that. We have nothing. We have no goodness of our own. We're totally bankrupt. Poor in spirit. It's not poor of purse. If things at times go terribly wrong, men perceive that you are cursed or they are cursed. Why? Because that's what they've heard said. Well, you know what it says. You know what Granny says. Grandpa says that's what they that's what they've all said. Because they've all thinks they're keeping the law. It doesn't say blessed are the poor. It says blessed are the poor in spirit. Poverty in spirit comes from the spirit of God. It makes you see it. Not only to see it, but to feel it. It's like if you read the article, I think it's by Augustus Toplady. He said he looked back over the year. He said he saw how cold he was and how indifferent he was and all the many things he did. But he said grace was greater and mercy was greater. But he didn't deny those things because they're there. It's real. Material poverty. Now, we would, now this is what we think. We think that it would bring about humility. But no, most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time, it produces bitterness. Bitterness. People today talk about promoting the higher life. But I see no one talking about the lower life. What does this mean, 
poor in spirit, it means to be emptied of all our self-confidence. All our self-importance and all of our so-called, as we think, self-righteousness. That which is highly esteemed in the sight of men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, men see it in the sight of men, they are highly esteemed. That which is highly esteemed in the sight of men, how does God see it? It is an abomination unto God. All ministries today, apart from grace, you know what to do? They feed men's pride. Instead of starving the flesh, it's, they puff up the flesh. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is poverty of spirit? It is the opposite of that haughty, self-sufficient spirit. It's just the opposite. All being my nature are proud. They're proud of face. They're proud of race. And sometimes even proud of grace. Proud. Proud. Pride is a, it's a horrible thing. When he talks about these seven things, does God hate? The very first one he mentions, the very first, is a proud look. Proud look. What is poverty of spirit? It is the recognize, to recognize that I have nothing, I am nothing, can do nothing, and have need of all things. I'm nothing. Can do nothing. And have need of all things. It is to acknowledge that God is holy and we are unholy. And if a man ever has been taught that and he's heard Christ say that and speak to his heart, it breaks him. That's what he does. He breaks him. This is the foundation upon which he builds everything else. It's humility. Poor. 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 As I said, the foundation of all the other graces is laid on humility. Someone said, those who build high must begin low. And I looked it up yesterday. I think I looked it up before, but it had been a long time, and I couldn't remember. It's hard to believe that the World Trade Centers have been gone over 20-some years. They were 110 stories high above ground. You know how many levels was underground? Seven levels. One wall they had, I can't remember what they called it, actually held back the Hudson River. But to build high, they seven layers, floors that you can't see. That's poor in spirit. God breaks low. God puts you, God puts us in the dirt. We're poor and needy. He lifts up the poor. The first thing he said, Christ came to do what? Preach the gospel to who? The poor. Now, I would probably say the majority of the people that probably came to him and listened to him, they were probably physically poor. 
Most of the rich had no time for him. But that still there was no merit in that. Most of those people he fed never understood why he fed them. They just wanted their bellies filled. Poor in spirit. I think it was Pink that used the prodigal son as a picture of all these things. He became poor in spirit. He realized he had nothing. And he's there at the hog pen, and he comes to himself. He not only poor in spirit, he mourns over his condition. He mourns over it. Then he hungers and thirsts after righteousness. It is only those who have passed from death into life who have become conscious of their poverty that take the place of beggars and are gladly to receive divine charity and to begin to seek true riches. Roland Hill once said, Poverty of spirit, I thought this was good, is the bag into which Christ puts the riches of his grace. Blessed is the poor in spirit. I love to find somebody that knew they were nothing. <laughs> and they had nothing and could do nothing. Do nothing. Without me, our Lord said, you can do nothing. He didn't say you can do some things. You can do nothing. And here's something. You can't make yourself poor in spirit. A sinner is a precious thing. The Holy Spirit hath made him so. Came to preach the gospel to the poor. Poor, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is... The kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are enriched with the fullness of Christ, which is the kingdom in substance. One day our Father is going to speak from the great white throne. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's is the kingdom of heaven. But have a kingdom, you must have a king that rules, and that king has citizens of his kingdom. And here's one of the marks, one of the characteristics of one of the citizens of that kingdom. They are, and they never get beyond it, they are poor, poor in spirit. Then what's the next one? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They're not only poor in spirit, they mourn over their condition. Always. We never get beyond it. It ain't like that we, you know, within it's like the, it ain't like these are stepping stones and we and we and we get up, you know, like people want to call the higher life. You get closer unto God and then you know, you grow above being poor in spirit. Oh, no. All these, it's like the fruit of these spirit, not spirits, not the fruits of the spirit. It's all one. All these are one. All these are in every child of God. They do mourn over their sin. You do. An inward mourning. 
Say, man, I thought I had that under control. No, you don't. You thought you did. We thought we did. Mourn. They mourn over their sin. Mourn over their sin nature. They mourn over indwelling sin. That old man, he's still there. He's like Ishmael, always standing behind a tree somewhere, mocking you. You know how he mocks? He first says, well, he maybe said, well, you can do this. You've got this. And then he says, ain't you an idiot? <laughs> That's the old man. He's not improving. He's not getting better. We mourn over it. That's why the Lord has left that old man there. The old man serves the new man. We mourn when the Holy Spirit is grieved. We mourn over the sins of the world. We see this world in the shapes it's in. It ought to affect us. Not some pretense to try and act like we're piety or something. No, we really mourn. Our Lord, he looked out over the, the people and he was moved with compassion. Mourn. Mourn. Can you imagine these people? They just, we've never heard anything like this before. And, they, and I can see they all just sit down and listen to him. Listen to him. And maybe some in their hearts are mourning over who they were, what they are. Not what they were, what they are. Oh, wretched man that I am, that's Paul. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, but mourning. There is a natural mourning, a bereavement. If somebody passes away or whatever. But there's a gracious mourning. It's called repentance. It's called godly sorrow that works repentance not to be repented of. That's true mourning. You ever see Christ? You mourn over your sin. If you ever see who you are, you mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed is the man that mourns over his sin. There's a lot of people who'd say they've committed a few wrongs, a few wrong acts, but they don't mourn over it. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, you know what happened? They were pricked in their hearts. They mourned. They seen their poverty, and they said, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? All this... This morning, this brokenness. You want to see a man broken? You want to see a man mourning? Go read Psalms 51. After God had revealed his sin to David, he was poor. He had, he had no way of undoing what he'd done. He knows it. He said, my sin is ever before me. This man's truly mourning over his sin. God grant us that spirit. The more fully we are made aware of our sin, the more we mourn over it. The more we are compelled to look to Christ alone for our righteousness. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. What do you say in Isaiah? Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. 
your warfare is accomplished. He hath rewarded you double for your sins. Yes, we mourn. He said, I will send you the comforter, and he will be with you. He comforts. You know what, you know what comfort is to a sinner that he's put away my sin? And they're gone. That's the only comfort I have. There's no comfort in what I can do or ever hope to do. True comfort is not found in ourselves, nor even in perceiving our own vileness, but in Christ alone. Those who mourn because of their sin shall be comforted. And then the third, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness. It says in the Old Testament that Moses was the meekest man. But when he come down off that mountain that day and seen him dancing around the golden calf, with the law of God in his hand, you know what he did? He threw the law down. I don't think he was laughing about it. That's a meek man. If he hadn't have been meek, he would have lost his temper a long time before he did. You imagine dealing with these people and all they wanted to do was complain and gripe and grumble against God, grumble against Moses, and he's meek. You know what? That's, that's a man that's been broken. God put him in, the, in Pharaoh's house for 40 years. And then God takes him from that, strips him, makes him poverty of spirit, and takes him on the backside of the desert for another 40 years before he brings him out. And in that 80 years, God's broke this man. God's humbled him. You know who the picture of meekness is? Our Lord. I am meek and lowly. Come unto me. Who is the, it said, blessed are the meek. We mourn over our condition, sorrowing for the awfulness of our sin. And the meek submit themselves to God and his word. Like when the Lord spoke to Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt. Hmm. Moses began to make a few excuses. He said, well, I can't speak well. And God said, well, who made man's mouth? He had to submit. He, you imagine, you imagine walking down in the middle, and you walk up to a throne, and there's a man named Pharaoh sitting on it. And you said, "I come with some news from God, from a man, from God who is Jehovah, who rules all things." Well, what did you God say? He said, "God said, let my people go." He said, "I don't know who your God is, but meekness, our Lord." was not dragged as a lamb to the slaughter. He was not dragged resisting. He went. You know what he did? He submitted. You know why most men are not meek? They've never bowed to God. Meek. Meek. Meek, you see who you are. Meekness produces the meanest thoughts of ourselves and the best thoughts of others. 
Now, the world's just reversed it. You need to be told how good you are. You know, you know how it's just a blessing for you, you to be here today. It's a blessing that God allowed you to be here. It's a blessing that God would give you the desire to be here. The meanest thoughts of yourself, by nature, we think the best thoughts of ourselves. Why do people talk about other people? Because they want to make them look bad and make them look good. He said, what's the first thing? He said, a proud look. A proud look. He that sows discord among the brethren. Meekness. Now listen to me. Those who claim to be the believers and they show no meekness, I'm concerned. He makes you meek, I'm telling you. No one else can. It ain't by beating them overhead with the law. It ain't showing them that it's wrong. They just meekness. But blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness like I said. I want you to listen to this. You might need to write this down somewhere. Meekness is the mark of a man who has been mastered by God. Meekness is the mark of a man who's been mastered by God. Matthew Henry wrote, they are meek who are rarely, rarely, and hardly provoked. Boys, there's times, there's times it don't take much to provoke us. We snap. We lose it or whatever you want to call it. But rarely and hardly provoke. Here's our Lord. Here's meekness. Here's, here's the picture of meekness. This is what he's saying. Probably, you know, you can see the Pharisees and Sadducees. They, they tried to act like they were meek. You know what our Lord said? You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. You know what meekness is? When they come to get him, he says, here I am. You come get me. They spit in his face, beat him over the head, put a crown of thorns over his head. And when they reviled him, he reviled not again. And we're going to see, he said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's meekness. Yeah, Paul, we shake our head and we say, boy, I'm not too meek. But I can tell you this, all that he saves, he masters him. We are his, we do become his willing, loving bond slaves. For Paul said, I am the servant of Jesus Christ. That's what that meant. It's whatever he says. It's whatever he says. As Matthew Henry said, they they are meek who are rarely and hardly provoked but quickly and easily pacified, and who would rather forgive 20 injuries than avenge one, having the rule of their own spirit. And he says, they shall inherit the earth. When Adam sinned, he forfeited his spiritual right to the earth for himself and his posterity. 
Christ has regained it for all the elect. All the elect. They shall inherit the earth. We'll just begin mentioning the fourth one. Verse 6. <clears throat> Blessed are they which are poor in spirit. Blessed are they that are mourned. Blessed are they which are meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you think the prodigal son, when he leaves the hog pen, that uh, he's, he's as proud as he was when he came? Man, he come, he's got everything he could have. He, he's got everything he, he thought he could ever want. We don't know how much money he had, but he said, I don't have to worry about nothing. I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm going to uh, live today and enjoy it and don't worry about tomorrow. Don't hear about tomorrow until it's all gone. And now he has no friends. Now he's working in religion, trying to hopefully maybe earn enough to repay what he basically stole from his daddy. And he's broken and he has nothing. And he comes to himself. And he says, I'll go to my father. And you know what he said? I'll ask to be a servant. And you know what he does now? He's sick of the hog being. And until you get sick of this world and the world system and the flesh, till you get sick of it, you will never hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's a hunger. It's a thirst to the, the full soul, loathless or makes light of the, of the honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is made sweet. Hungry. God creates a hunger for what? Righteousness. Paul said that I might be found in him not having mine own righteousness. Here the eye is taken from self and looks to another there's a longing after that which they know they have not got and which they are conscience or understand they urgently need. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. No man can serve two masters. When God quickens a sinner, he makes him a blessed man. He begins to long. He begins to long after true righteousness. Paul said, read, go home this, this week and read Philippians 3. Paul said, before all, I was, I was after. He said, I was blameless. It was a righteousness that I had, that I'd worked out. Till he seen it, it was just rags. And he said, now I count it just manure. I thirst, we still thirst after his righteousness. His righteousness. Blessed is those that hunger and thirst. It's a thirst that only he can quench. It's a righteousness that only he can give. Job asked this question many times. How can I be made righteous? In the sight of God. Our Lord's he's, he's going to say in this sermon. Accept your righteousness. Exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You're not entering into the kingdom of God. 
he hungers. All of his appetites and craving of his spiritual nature go toward what he wants, namely righteousness. He knows that he's not attained it in himself. And that's the reason he hungers and thirsts after it. He longs to be free from sin. Someone said the desire is intense. What is more intense than hunger and thirst? What will a man do who is hungry? What would he do? What would a man do if he knew if he was in this room and he was starving to death and he knew on the other side of that wall was food? I wouldn't want to get in his way. Someone said he would take down walls. He would bust through that door. He would find something, something to get to that that he desired. That's the way it is. When God shows you in your poor in spirit and you mourn and you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness and this never stops. You know what I want this morning? I want his righteousness. I don't want to be found in my own righteousness, which is of the law. Paul said, I've not yet obtained. We've not yet arrived. We're driven. We are driven by hunger. We're driven by thirst. Some people, some of you, travel several miles to hear the gospel. You know why? You're hungry. You can't describe it. And you know this, nothing else will satisfy it. Nothing in this world. It just won't. The holy craving after righteousness, which the Holy Spirit implants in a person, dominates his entire being. The Pharisee is satisfied with his righteousness, but not a believer. He's never. He said, my righteousness, my best righteousness is filthy rags. I want to be found in his. Okay, and he says, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Here's the blessing. They shall be filled. No one else gets filled. Our Lord said, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? I heard Barnard say on a tape one time, he said, are you hungry? I'm talking to you. Are you thirsty? I'm talking to you. And they said, well, if you ain't hungry, I don't have anything for you. If you're not thirsty, I don't have anything for you. But if you're hungry and thirsty, we have the good news of the gospel. Now, this is amazing. When God creates a hunger and and a thirst in the soul, it is that he will satisfy it. That woman come with the issue of blood. It's been every dime she had looking to be healed. It made her an outcast. It made her cursed under the law, and nobody could help her. But she crawled on her hands and knees to get to him. And you know what? She was filled. He said, go and sin no more. 
God has made us in such a way that nothing can ever feel that emptiness but God. When God saves a man, the man gets Christ and him, the fullness of Christ, and he's filled. You are complete in him. You don't have a partial righteousness. You have a complete and the very thing you craved after, he gave you. He gave you, even, even now, he, he still gives you that craving. You crave him. And he fills you with joy and gladness. Lord willing, we'll pick up there.